We're going to be looking this morning at the, at the uh, let me put my glasses on, at the 31st verse of chapter 8 as we continue our study in the Gospel of John. I invite you now to hear God's word. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold my, to my teaching, or if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Well, Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would, you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove to me guilt of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? And whoever belongs to God hears what God says. And the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we take this time to study your word, we ask that as we open our Bibles and as we study your word, that you would, you would allow us the great mercies of, of comprehension that we would comprehend the teaching that Christ gives. We know that we, in, in all our endeavors, uh, seek to be intelligent. And though many have an education here and are in, indeed intelligent people, there is a possibility that we cannot talk intelligently about who you are until you reveal yourself to us. And so humbly, Father, 
we ask that you would bless our study this morning as we look at your word and that you would speak to us of eternal things that we might be free indeed as Jesus promised. For this we ask and we pray in the name of our Savior, even Christ Jesus our Lord and, and the people of God said together, amen. amen. I don't know about you, but I hate flat Cokes. I hate them with a passion. Uh, I, I look for restaurants that have a nice fountain machine where the, where the, uh, the, the, the bubbles in the drinks foam for at least five minutes after you pour the drink. And every once in a while, I'll find a place that doesn't have the right kind of CO2 in it, and it would literally cause the Coke to kind of just sit on your tongue and paste it. You ever had that feeling? It's kind of like drinking a drink that's more like a peanut butter. It just kind of coats your whole mouth. And one of the things that is really amazing to me is that as I do that, as I go about looking for places that understand this science of how to please the palate, uh, I find more and more that, that it is a challenge. It is a challenge to find consistent places that serve drinks in the ways they are meant to be served. And so this past week, as Cindy was away and she was with Ann during her surgery, I had the opportunity to visit many different restaurants and test out many different <laughs> drinks. And I came home completely exhausted, thinking I'll never go out to eat again. And I won't go out to eat again because, simply put, uh, I'm tired of flat Cokes. But, you know, I, I think about that in relationship to our spiritual life. Let me ask you, do you feel like your Christianity, your faith is flat? Do you feel like that Christ is not truly someone you feel connected to this morning? Is there, a, is there a possibility that you're dealing with some, some things in life that is causing you to doubt or to fear or maybe to feel disconnected from his word? And, and it's a real serious issue in the Christian life. In fact, one of the things that you find that it's really quite amazing in the passage we read this morning is that as Jesus has gone through in John's gospel and he's done miracles and signs to show that the, he is worthy of their trust, the Bible says that there are people who believe in him. If you go back to chapter 2 and look at verse 23, and you read verse 23 through 25, you will see that Jesus did things, and it says that many people believed in him, but then Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Why? Because he knew what humans were like. And you think, wow. We come to another passage this morning that really speaks to that same thing. If you've noticed in chapter 31, you find this overwhelming statement that I, 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 I am arrested by. It says, to the Jews who had believed him. So there is belief, there's faith. But apparently it wasn't the kind of faith that will save these individuals. Now, I want you to know that as you look at this, you begin to say, well, then who are the children of God? Who are the people who know God? And when you look around the world today, you see numerous expressions of faith. That's what we call it. We call it religions or faiths that seek to explain who this creator is that created the world and everything we see. And the question that comes to your mind is, who is right? Who has the right answer to who are the children of God? 
Because not everyone who believes everything believes the same thing. It is insane when I look at these stickers that are on the back of the cars. Have you seen them? It's called coexist. You ever seen those? That's an insane proposition. Why? Because it says that basically we can live together and coexist and tolerate basically things that are diametrically opposed to one another in their teaching. When it comes to the truth, there has to be only one truth. But we're living in an age where literally we've seen three generations rise up that do not believe there is absolute truth anymore. That truth is relative based upon what I think instead of something that's objective. And so when you use the word faith this morning, one of the things you cannot do is you cannot say you have faith in faith. That's a, mis that's a misnomer. Faith has an object. It is pointing not to the act of believing, it is pointing to the object of what that belief is in. And so this morning, as we look at this passage, there are a couple of things that really kind of shock us. As we come to it, we, we ask then, who has true faith? What is the difference between a true faith and a false faith? How, if I feel disconnected, if somehow I feel dry, if I somehow feel unapproachable to Christ, does that mean I've fallen away from my faith? I was When I was a young Christian, I used to love to go to conferences because at those Christian conferences, there would be speakers who would speak wonderful messages and they would just build you up. You ever done that? You, you go to these conferences and you come home so high on your faith that you're ready to tackle the world. But then a couple of weeks later, a couple of months later, what happens? You, you come into this place where you, you lose that high. And you begin to deal with the realities of life. And you begin to feel the strain that comes with trying to live out what it is that you say you believe in a world that doesn't believe it or encourage it or even acknowledge it. Well, here we come to a passage where it says that the Jews who saw what Jesus was teaching and what he had done believed in him. Well, what in the world does that mean? There are people who've looked at this text and they've tried to come to terms with what is exactly John is trying to communicate. And there are some people who believe actually that this passage was probably inserted wrongly by some copyist who recopied and recopied the text because Jesus certainly wouldn't be referring to people who believed in him as if they belonged to the devil, would he? And so some people not only believe it was a later insertion, some people go back to the original Greek and try to make a difference between the, uh, the words that are used there as opposed to the times where the, the word belief is used as an accusative when it talks about believing in, into Jesus or believing to Jesus as opposed to believing in Jesus. And so there's kind of this splitting of the hair. By the way, have you ever wondered what split, splitting hairs is all about? You ever wondered what that was about? I think it's calisthenics more than anything else. I remember growing up, my sister used to iron her hair to keep it straight. Did you all remember doing that in the 1980s? And she said she always had split hairs by doing that. Well, in this way, I think that that kind of approach to uh, in, uh, interpreting this passage is splitting hairs. 
I think it's something quite different. Some people think that, well, Jesus was talking to a group of people, and so when he says to the Jews who believed in him, there were obviously some people who didn't believe in him. And so what he says in the rest of the verse really is addressing those people who were there who may have the external appearance of believing in him, but really don't. And that doesn't make the rest of the passage as well as far as the context. Jesus can't just be directing himself to teaching those who are believers and those who are not believers by such a sentence as this. When you go back to chapter 2, verse 23, it becomes very clear that when John talks about believing in Christ, and here's the point, he he wrote the gospel to you as you read it so that you would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That when we use that word to believe in Christ, there is a sense that there is a belief that does not lead to a salvation. Now, that's not foreign to our theology as Presbyterians because when we think about saving faith, we see saving faith is made up of three criteria. It deals with knowledge. You cannot believe in Christ until you know what Christ has said and taught. And so you must understand his teaching. There's a knowledge that's involved with faith, and that's the first part of a genuine faith. The second is that there's an assent that what is being spoken is true. That what Jesus says is true, but you have not come to the point where you believe it and trust it. And that's the third part of a saving faith is that you put your complete trust in that truth so that your life is conformed by what it teaches. Well, Jesus here really is giving us the criteria of what true faith is. And it's a criteria that anyone who is a Christian should soberly back away from and say to themselves, maybe I should examine my own life to see if I truly do believe in Jesus. Because there must be something about my faith that indicates that faith to be genuine. Please notice in in that verse that you follow, in verse 31, it says, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching. This is in the NIV. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Well, what does he mean by that? Hold to my teaching. Well, a genuine faith, the criteria of that first is that is a genuine belief in uh, that that is that Christ's words is something that I should should not just casually let pass by. I shouldn't let j- just come into my ear in one side and leave it out the other ear in the other. I remember growing up, I had a teacher by the name of Miss Trulock. What a, what a name, right? Miss Trulock. And, and she, was a, she was an old school person. She believed that the mind could only take in what the, the rear end could absorb. <laughs> Some of you got that. Some of you didn't. Let me explain. She was one of those ones who believed that when you were in school, you behaved and you paid attention and you listened. I remember sitting on the school uh, the school 
desk and it was break and, and we were just talking and I decided I wanted to turn around and talk to some friends behind me so I sat on top of the desk that you write on so I could lean back and, and talk to the friends who were behind me and they all kind of got real quiet and I thought what's the matter and they were watching her sneak up with her ruler and she took it and she whacked me right on the rear end I have never sat so fast in a chair in my life I just spun like a top everybody was laughing but she got my attention. Well, one of the things that's interesting is that many times in our day, we hear people say, I believe in Jesus, but when it comes to his word, the question is, does it make them hold on to it in such a way that they are changed? You see, the truth is, when we talk about a genuine belief in Christ, we're talking about receiving his word in such a way that we begin to obey it. Not in order that we are saved, but we obey it in, in the sense that we understand it as true. And so because of that, that whole dynamic of obeying Jesus Christ becomes that litmus test of whether I truly believe his word to be true or not and here's where the dynamic of our faith becomes real when Jesus says you have heard it said but I say to you you find this in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount he continually teaches the word of God in such a way that he expects those who hear it will not just use for an excuse a way to get around obeying it, but to apply it to the ultimate extreme of what God intended from the beginning. What do I mean? I mean simply this, that Jesus comes to set us free from that which would hinder us to love and seek God. And in loving and seeking God, we desire to please God. We desire to honor God. And so when you hear Jesus say things like, forgive as you have been forgiven, let me ask you this morning, do you wrestle with that? Does that test your faith? Sure it does. You see, a genuine faith, a genuine faith looks at what Christ teaches and says, I have no ability to do this unless Christ enable me. And I cannot obey his word without his help. This is why you go back in the scripture and you look at how Logan has been leading us through the scriptures. And as we studied previous chapters, Jesus says, if you want life, you must come to me. Not obey laws, but you must come to him who is able to give you what you need in order to please God. And that is faith. It's so amazing, isn't it? When you think about the other teachings we have, not only uh, forgive others as you have been forgiven, love your enemies and pray for them. What? You see, genuine faith looks at that and says, well, I, I can hate some people. You know, I have these other people I can hate on this side, but I'll make up for it by the way I love other people on the other. Right? Not according to Jesus. When he says that 
if you believe in me, you will obey my word. What he's really directing us to is dealing with the sin problem in our hearts that keeps us from pleasing and loving God. And so this morning, if you're having some resentment, if you're having some issues of unforgiveness, it's not the person's problem who hurt you. It's the problem of your heart that will not forgive because you think that you are God and that you deserve the right to punish them. And by doing so, you rob God of his glory because only God is the judge of humanity. When you and I have someone who persecutes us or makes fun of us or belittles us, we want to retaliate. I was talking with the teenagers this morning about, uh, we, as we were studying Ephesians, about how the calling of God is that we would be people who would be different from the world in the world the way the world works. And we talked about the battle of the flesh and the spirit. And I said, if somebody comes up and hits you, what is your reaction? To slug them back. To knock them out. You know, that goes back to the Old Testament. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And the, the whole reason for that law of the Old Testament was to hinder humans from doing what is natural in our evil nature, which is not just to give an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but if you take my eye, I'm going to take your head. You see this? It reveals something about our sinful nature, doesn't it? It reveals something about us we don't like, and that is we are not what we know we should be. And so when Jesus says, those who love God those who seek God, those who are following God by faith, they're not people who on the exterior seem all clean and right. These are people who are bleeding because they recognize their inability to do what God expects them to do, and they cry out to Christ for the power, the strength to do so. And so when you, Jesus says, the person who is my disciple is the one who holds on to my words, that means I hold on to it when the temptation is there not to. I, I seek to understand it better, not, work, not less. I, I was talking with Bill and Delcy Wakefield. Delcy's passed away. She's gone to be with the Lord. You don't know them, but they were, they were part of the foreign mission board of the Baptist church. They served in Indonesia as missionaries for years. Uh, they came to be teachers of Sunday school in a Baptist church that Cindy attended before she saw the light and became a Presbyterian. And, and, and one of the things that was mo most amazing is that, that Bill and Delcy were the people who counseled us in our marriage. Early on, uh, they were the ones who were really giving us premarital counseling and postmarital counseling. And Bill used to say something that just really ticked me off. Because when I was right, I was right, and my wife was wrong. Can you imagine any other difference? There was kind of two laws in our, in our family. The first is Robert is always right. The second is when in doubt, refer to rule number one. <clears throat> Don't laugh. You're the same way. And when Bill would teach us and lead us in our conversations, he would say, Robert, you have to lean into the pain. And I would say, well, I don't want to lean into the pain. I just want my wife to give him my slippers, cook my food, and make my bed. What was the problem? 
wasn't my wife. No, it was me. You see, when Christ calls us to follow him by faith, it is a faith that does not base itself on the externals of how I feel or the circumstances of I'm going through. It is a kind of holding on to the teaching of Christ that leads me to action regardless of my circumstances. It finds its most precious power when I am seeking to be controlled by it instead of allowing anything else to control me. And so a genuine faith has the results of something quite powerful. It preserves my life as opposed to allowing me to perish. Why? Because sin causes me to perish. Sin destroys. Sin separates. Sin causes enmity. But when I persevere in that word of Christ, when I come to him who is the source of life and health and forgiveness and peace, it is only then in that genuine faith of being tested that I really find out what it is that I trust in and I cannot trust in myself. I must trust in Christ alone for the power to live. When you go back and you look in the 14th verse of Ephesians, in that, in that third chapter, it's quite powerful. Paul prays in ending that first section of Ephesians by simply praying something that's quite powerful. He says, I pray that you are able to get in touch with the power of Christ so that you can be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. To do what? To know the love of God. And be full with the full to be filled with the fullness of God. Isn't that amazing? It's no wonder people are so skeptical when they look at Christians these days. Because in the midst of what's happening in our country and the divides that are happening among us as a people, we do not see Christ and his teaching being lived out. We're seeing partying spirits where people vie against one another. Where people say, you're right, I'm wrong, you're going to hell, I'm going to heaven. Rule number one, Robert is always right. Rule number two, when in doubt, look at rule number one. You see, the model of the faith that we are given is a faith that is loving God. And it never demeans, lessens, destroys others. It leads them into the truth of who God is. This is a powerful teaching, isn't it? It's no wonder then that Jesus, Jesus was so offensive to these genuine Jews because they were genuine Jews. The results of that faith, that it would be, it would be a, a preserving power, that, the, that Christ would be so preserving of their lives. They didn't want that. That, that, that as they would hold tight to Jesus' teaching, they would find life. They already believed they had it. And they truly believed that they were free when they weren't. They weren't free at all. They were trying to kill him. And by that very activity, they were betraying what their genuine object of faith was. And that wasn't God. It was in themselves. It's really quite arresting, isn't it? The second thing you see that's really amazing is the argument over a faith like Abraham. Now, 
Some of you may not know who Abraham is, and, and I understand. It's okay. It, it's one of those things that you have to go back to the Old Testament, all the way back to the book of Genesis. And you'll find a man there who basically lives in a foreign country, and he is a fearer of God. He believes in that in a, in a culture that believes in many gods, he believed there really is one true God. And he's trying to know who that one true God is. And that God reveals himself to him and says, go and leave your country, leave your kindred, and go to a land and I will show it to you. And when you go there, I will bless you. God did not tell him the directions. Most of you have Google Maps, right? Abraham was not given directions on where he was going. He was not told how it was going to transpire. He was not even given the assurance except that God said that I will bless you. He wasn't told what that would be. Until later, God says, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing, so that through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And what that prophecy was talking about was that through Abraham, God would send the Savior, Jesus, in the lineage of Abraham. And ultimately, the whole world has been blessed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lives have been transformed. Women, you need to realize the freedoms you have today as women, you have because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you would simply be property traded by men. I could go through a thousands of ways in which God has blessed our, our world through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the most astounding thing is that these Jews who are standing before Jesus are rejecting him, seeking of ways of killing him. They really believe that their faith is genuine. Notice the exchange. It really is amazing. Go back and open your Bibles. Look at verse 33. And you'll find that they, they look at Jesus with incredulity. And they say, we're, we're children. We're descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. By the way, they were under Roman slavery at the very moment they said that. Did you know that? We've never been slaves to anyone. What were they doing? Well, in verse 37, they were first deceived. Look at verse 37. Jesus says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, and yet you're, you're ready to kill me. Why? Because, because you have no room for my word. You hear that? Now, is that a faith of Abraham? Look at verse 40. It goes on and says not only were they deceived by their sin, they were actually opposed to God. Verse 40. As it is, you were determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth about that, that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. But here's the key. Though they said they believed in Jesus, and here's the real dangerous part, the slippery slope, they believed lies. What do I mean? Look at verse 43, why is my language not clear to you, Jesus said, because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. 
He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Hear that? And so one of the things that comes to our minds is, what does it mean to be a child of God, to have genuine faith? It is to hear Christ's words. To trust not only that they are true, but that your life is changed by them in an activity that represents that truth. We call this a transformation in the Christian church. We call that, that, that process a sanctification. Uh, when, you, when you're saved, you come to Christ and you say, yes, Jesus, I know you died for my sins and I know you want to forgive me and I want to receive that gift. And so you're, you're born of God at that moment. But from that moment forward, you go through years until Christ returns where you are working out your salvation. And what does that mean? It's a process of sanctifying, of setting aside yourself, of discipling yourself, of disciplining your life to represent the faith you say you believe. It is that human endeavor to join God in his work of sanctification to being led by the Holy Spirit so that you just don't give lip service to being a Christian. Your life actually begins to represent it to others. And that lip service is the thing that people look at and they just kind of scratch their head. We were seeing this undoing of, of the church's influence in the culture. We've been seeing this now for 40 years. Do you know what's happening? First, it began with the Catholic Church when, when they failed to discipline the priests who were abusing children. And as these children were being abused and the priest in charge knew this was happening, they did nothing to arrest it or stop it so that it went on for decades until finally it exploded and, and the whole world looked at the Catholic Church and everyone said, if you're a priest, you're gay. And people began to lose trust in the church. We're now seeing it raised up in the Baptist Church. The Baptists were warned 20 years ago that this kind of thing endangered their fellowship if they did not have a sense of accountability. What did they do? They did nothing to help understand or to explain the fact that our faith must be transforming and people who are involved in the church's life must be continually transforming themselves to match their faith. So now we're hearing what? Lawsuits in the Baptist church where, where children have been abused, not, not by pastors, by church volunteers. And now with the advent of the internet and all that's happening with, with transgenderism and the gay movement, what is you're seeing? You're seeing this pressing, this overwhelming pressure to conform to a life that denies God. How did this happen? Well, it happened because this is the natural course of humanity apart from the grace of God. You may be here this morning struggling in an area that no one else knows. But let me tell you, there is no sin that isn't common to man. 
But God says, with the temptation, he will allow a way of escape. What is that way? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, I just got to believe in Jesus. No, 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 no. It's deeper than that. It's applying the word of Christ. It's holding fast to it. It's seeking to conform your life to it. It is adjusting yourself to following him. If the Jews knew who he was, they would have fell on their knees and they would have said, we want a faith like Abraham. What did Abraham's faith look like? Abraham's faith obeyed God. You say, well, did Abraham do that perfectly? No, 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 it didn't. It didn't at all. It didn't at all in the sense that Abraham had to learn how to trust God. Did you know that? He had to learn how to trust God. This is why in James, the book of James, God says temptations come into our life. They are the opportunities that God gives you to learn how to strengthen your faith. What does that mean? To learn how to adjust your life to following Christ. You're in a marriage this morning. Your marriage is, is, is on shambles. You're not sure if your marriage is going to last. Let me tell you, if you turn to Christ and trust in him and begin to follow what he teaches you concerning how to be married, you will find that God will bless you. But it will take both of you to do it. If you're in a job and you're feeling the, you're feeling the pinch and you just feel like, oh, I'm just not sure if I want to stay in this job. If you look at that job as God's calling to your life to represent Christ in your workplace, it will change your whole perspective of why you're there. If you're part of a church... And you're just going through the motions of coming to church and you never open your Bible, you never pray, you never do anything more than just simply come and hear a lesson or a teaching in church and you're not being changed daily by Christ's word, then you're just simply going through the motions and you say you have a faith, but the truth is the faith that you have is either weak or it's an imposter. An imposter? Well, that's what these Jews had. You see, when they heard Jesus' words, they heard, yes, we know that's true. Yes, we believe that's true. But no, we will not trust in you. And because of that, they were perishing. And when Jesus confronted them and said, you know, your father's the devil, they didn't like that either. They didn't like it. I dare say when you and I begin to look at John's gospel, he warns us of a Christianity that is prevalent in our day where people say, I believe in Jesus, but their lifestyle betrays something that basically they say, I'm righteous, I'm good, but they're never talking about the other side. You see, the genuine faith is not someone who comes with the idea that I'm somehow perfect. 
genuine faith says, I am not perfect, and I need Christ, and I need repentance. And so a genuine faith is what the world longs for. Do you know I was at a conference in Montreat listening to the vice president of InterVarsity talk about this next generation coming up, the 20-somethings. Do you all know them, by the way, the 20-somethings? Do you know why they're not attending church? Because they're asking themselves, do we see real genuine Christian love? Genuine Christian love? And that challenges me, doesn't it? Do I love enough to do what Jesus said? Forgive as you've been forgiven. Pray for your enemies. Confess your sins to one another. Now you see why Jesus' teaching was so challenging, don't you? Truly challenging. No man or woman is going to follow Christ. Not in their own nature. Unless the Father draw them. And you know what? That's the glorious news about you this morning. If you are here, you are being drawn by God the Father to his son Jesus. God is pulling you like a magnet. And he's asking you to come to him. And trust him. You say, well, what, what will it cost me? Everything. Everything. It may cost you a relationship. It may cost you your job. It may cost you the most precious thing you're holding on to right now. But let me tell you, nothing you give up to follow Christ can replace what He gives you in your love and obedience of Him. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and our Father, as we take this time to pray this morning, we want to confess to you that, that as we have already in our pastoral prayer acknowledged our sins, we ask God that we would be transformed by the power of Christ. That you would conform us to the image of him who gave himself for us. That as we go out from this place, we would go in the confidence and the assurance that Christ is with me. Not to bless what I want to do, but to conform my will to his, that his name would be blessed among the nations. And that as I, I take seriously these words of Jesus and pour myself into him and lean into the pain and seek to obey him and love him and follow him, that you do promise life for those who would do such abandonment of everything else to be his disciple. And our prayer is, God, that you would arrest our church, that you would stop our church from just being a cultural place to being a place of, of powerful, genuine, overwhelming grace evident to the culture that is trapped, slaved, to sin. 
Because the truth is, when we came into a relationship with your son, you set us free. And you tell us if the son has set us free, then we are free indeed. We are forgiven, cleansed, redeemed, restored. And now you send us out as witnesses of what Christ has done for his glory. We thank you for the many blessings we have received. Now help us to be faithful. And we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. And the people of God said together.